Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, Ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my, it's just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others, here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker. I'm here with my co-host, PK. How are you tonight? Fabulous. It's been over 70 today. Could not believe it. I just uh, ran through the, like I was running through a rainstorm. It was beautiful. Oh, good. nice. Good for you. Nice to have that warmth and that sun. Makes you feel good all over. The only thing was my neighbor called, and she said, do watch for snakes right now. And I said, oh, okay. And she sent me a picture of what a rattler in her backyard. She's a block and a half from me. It was over five foot long. I said, that's Ooh. it. Back of the house. <laughs> yeah, I think I'll watch from here. Yeah, that's really something. You guys have a lot of snakes out there in Tucson. Yeah, well, they're waking up now because the weather's getting warm, so they're going to come out of Ooh. their little nest. And you also had a coyote in your yard, you told me, a big one. Yes. Well, they go through the yard quite frequently. They don't bother me at all. It's when they go through when there's more than two of them. I get a little nervous and jerky. But uh, for the most part, one or two, not so bad. And occasionally there will be three or four of them, one like a little parade. They go right (laughs) through the yard and across the street to the neighbor's yard and then go for it. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. So tell us what's going on with with the numbers. We've had quite tumultuous times here, obviously, and it kind of feels like even though we're a little bit past Mercury retrograde, that things are still a little upside down. So what's happening? Well, what I did today, I took a look at things, and I thought, you know what's really going on? We are in a five-year and that's really what the it's the major everything that's going on, whether it's daily or monthly, the five has the most effect on us. And that deals with change, day to day change. It also deals with a lot of energy. There's a lot of comings and goings with the retrograde just stopping. Everybody's taking starting to take a breath and as you try to go forward, <clears throat> excuse me, the changes we're gonna to have to embrace them because they're so unexpected because that's what change is the unexpected there's going to be some good change there's going to be some rebellions going on but also if you talk about rebellions and all kinds of negative behavior we all we have to do is look at what's been going on in the world and that would certainly get our attention but the five deals with freedom and it deals with embracing changes and becoming able to live with change it also tends to make us accident prone and I was just taking a look at what happened with uh, the, uh, excuse me, with the uh, situation with our favorite golfer, his car oh, yeah. accident. I took a look at that. He is in a five-day 
in in a, excuse me a five year in a nine personal day, so he was very extremely accident prone when this took place. So it's when I looked at the dates and the timing, it everything fell into place, and his four personal months that he's in deals with bones and issues of that area. Of course, that's the worst part is what he's done to his legs and his one ankle. Mm-hmm. So uh, he, he's going to be in bad, bad shape. Now, whether he gets out of this in total, good question, because that nine personal day that he was in, sometimes that's hard to step out of and get back to normal again. So oh, anytime we're all dealing with the five-year, regardless of what our personal stuff is. But five means we're going to try to do things in a hurry, and we need to be more flexible and adaptable to allowing things to change instead of fighting the changes. As soon as we start fighting the change, we set ourselves up for negativity. But the key thing going on deals with everybody has a great need for personal freedom. And, boy, if you take a look at from trying to go to the bank, trying to go to the grocery store, or just trying to live a normal life right now, we're all looking for some type of personal freedom or to embrace the change that we've got going on. So that's kind of where we are right now. Well, that's really insightful, and we're happy to hear it because it gives us some direction in what we know we're getting into and what we have been into. So thank you, and there is, PK, for sharing that. There is that. a look back that goes with the five as well, if used properly. So we've got some good things that are going to come from it. It's just don't try to outrun the situation. A little right. slower will save us all. Besides that, it'll keep you from getting a traffic ticket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't want traffic tickets or accidents. So, yeah, that was quite a bad wreck that Tiger Woods was in. It was terrible. Oh, they had to use so. the jaws to get him out of it. That says a lot right there. And both legs were injured in the one ankle. Uh, that's, uh, oh, my goodness. And he's just gotten over the surgery on his back. Oh, really? And so this is this is not good. Uh, nope, I wouldn't Oy. think so. Right. No, no, that's, that's not good. prayers, to say the least. And we've had Texas going through it, and thank goodness it looks like they're on the other mm-hmm. side of this now. So what a, a, Providing a very, very confronted the water experience. damages that have been going on. That seems to be the worst of everything is the water damages. Really? Pipes are breaking wow. and roofs are coming in and walls are caving in because of the fact that I guess nobody thought to tell them if pipes freeze open so that they can drip a little and keep right. them from exploding. Well, they're not used to it. You're not used to the, that kind sure. of weather. That's the kind of weather we're used to up here. We're ready for it. Mm-hmm. We know what to do for the most part. Yeah. But that was a very difficult situation. It was hard for everybody, all of us oh, watching yeah. it, too. Yeah. So unbelievable, everybody. It can happen. Yeah. The weirdest thing was that I saw on many different videos that were posted is people were picking up the snow with their hands, and then they were putting it on something warm to melt it, but it wouldn't melt. And I thought that was odd. I mean, certainly the snow up here melts. So I don't know what's going on, what was in that snow that made it so it wouldn't melt. I mean, some people put over fire and it wouldn't melt 
so I'll be darned. strange is going on. I saw on. some people putting it in containers in little fire pots, and theirs was melting. But that, who, what city, what part of the state, who knows? I don't know. Ah. Well, I wanted to give another Grabavoy number to everybody, and mm-hmm. you can play with this one this week, and this is to achieve your desire. So whatever your desire is, the Grabavoy number that goes with that is 741-8898. And again, that's 741-8898. So as we were discussing this last week, in case you weren't able to listen to the show, the Grabavoy numbers are radionic sequences and you can meditate on them you can write them on a piece of paper you can put them in your wallet under your pillow and there's hundreds and hundreds of these codes so what we decided to do is offer a code a week to our audience and let us know what happens so again that number is 741-8898 and i also wanted to say make sure you go to our facebook page and give us a like and a follow. We have some great UFO stories, especially one. And I know, PK, you called me bright and early about this one today. The pilot, commercial pilot, uh, radioed in. Is there something flying over us? He saw a cylindrical object. and You could tell he was pretty rattled by it. And he asked if they had any overflights in the area, and they did not. So interesting, interesting American Airlines, the pilot. Yeah, American. Thank you, American Airlines. Mm-hmm. So, seems like they're showing up more and more. And every week we post more and more of those stories on our Facebook page. So make sure you take a look there. We're also going to be starting a, a supernatural health series, leading edge health stories and interviews with people that can really help us with having a better life. So that's coming very, very soon. Maybe even next week we'll start it, so we'll see. I've got some good ideas for that one, too. Oh, good. Can't wait. Yeah. I need to get healthy. I know it, really, really. We both do. We're almost there. We just need some fine-tuning, right? That's for sure. (laughs) So tonight (laughs) we have two great guests for everybody and a new book a new book that they wrote together, and the book is called Life Ritualized, A Witch's Guide to Honoring Life's Important Moments. And it's for everyone. It's not just for witches. It's got some great ideas of how to celebrate and connect with everything that's going on in your life. We're living so fast right now, we need this book. We really do. Mm -hmm. We're just so darn busy, and we just don't stop to reconnect. So Phoenix and Guion are all co-owners of the metaphysical shop Milk and Honey in Sebastopol, California. Phoenix is a professional reader, root worker, and ritualist. She has been practicing witchcraft for 25 years. Guion has been a practicing witch and ritualist with the Reclaiming Tradition since 2003. He is also a writer and a teacher. Welcome to the show, you guys. Thanks so much for having us. Hello, hello. It's, it's hello. good to be back on the show. Yes, yeah, we're good to have you. <laughs> Happy to have both of you. And again, what you know, this is a this is a much needed book. 
I mean, this is why PK and I anxiously awaited its debut in the world because we are so isolated now, given these crazy circumstances. And this is a book about reconnection. So tell us, why did you decide to write this? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, you kind of nailed it right there. Like they're having moments where we can stop and pause and reflect or celebrate or mourn or whatever. Our culture is so fast paced and we're so disconnected, even with social media, like social media makes us feel like we're super connected, but there is a a lack of, of true human interaction there. Uh, and when we can have moments to experience our rites of passage from a, a place of depth and awareness and being held by community, it can really revolutionize our lives. Um, what more would you say about that, Gwen? You know, I, I'd echo a lot of what Phoenix said. One of the things that we realized when we were writing the book is that there are millions of moments in a, that make up a lifetime. And so often uh, we look back three years, five years, 50 years later and realize that time has flown by and we missed a critical moment. And sometimes it's hard to remember them. When, when did that happen? Was my daughter 20 or 22? You know, whatever it is. And so if we mark moments with ritual and if we celebrate moments or, as Phoenix said, take take time to grieve something uh, that perhaps we've lost, then um, it sort of cements it. it. It makes it a moment in time. And if it is something that we want to remember fondly, by having that ritual, by having that uh, place marker, we can, we can tap back into it. Likewise, if, it's, if we're memorializing or ritualizing something that's more painful or traumatic or you know, something that's very difficult for us, we can say, okay, at this moment, we'll, I'll, I'll pour myself into it. I'll cry out loud. I'll gnash my teeth and stomp on the floor, and I'll get it all out. And that can really begin the healing process from that moment on. So that's, um, you know, that's some of why we wrote the book. Mm-hmm. Well, great reasons for it, that's for sure. And even though it says it's a witch's guide, it's really for everybody, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I you know, think uh, so. Phoenix yeah. and I are witches, and uh, that means we have our own metaphysical practices. Uh, we have practices that we share together, and we have practices that are separate. Now, a lot of folks, if you're not familiar with witchcraft, you might have imaginations of Phoenix and I being out in the woods with a roaring bonfire stark naked, dancing around and, you know, conjuring all kinds of things. And it's not for me to say that there aren't people that do that. However, (laughs) we're also parents (laughs) and we're also (laughs) business owners and we're also a couple and stuff happens in life. So absolutely every single ritual in this book, I think, uh, with the exception of maybe one or two, practically every ritual in this book really are designed around real moments in our life and real moments in the vast majority of people's life. There's a little something in here for everyone. It doesn't really matter what your faith or your practice is. You still are going through rites of passage. You're still having these moments and these rituals can help you navigate them. 
It's always well, it nice to like have helped work with some of these issues because sometimes right. you just get where it's like a deer in headlights. You don't know where mm-hmm. to go. And you've got yeah. everything is laid out beautifully for us in your book. Mm, thank you. Yeah, it really is the, the kind of book you can read cover to cover or you can pick out what you need at the moment and reference it in the book. So it's it's very clearly spelled out, which is very helpful. Yeah. Good. Very definitely. Glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah. But let me ask a yeah. little bit more about each of you. So, Phoenix, what is a root worker? What does that mean? Yeah, so there is a tradition of... Um, folk magic that comes from like the Appalachian area of the United States and a lot from the South. Uh, And so root work is another way of saying doing spell work, like using roots, using plants, using herbs um, to do spells or to do magic or to connect to the land around you. So it's a, it's another term for, for a witch, although a lot of folks who are work, root workers would not call themselves witches. They could be of any faith. A lot of root workers are Christian uh, and do a lot of work with the Bible and Psalms. Um, but it's, you know, really focusing on plant, using plant medicine and plant magic. That sounds fun. And Gwion, yeah. what is, yeah, that sounds great. Guion, what is the reclaiming tradition? That's part of what you do. It is. So the reclaiming tradition was founded in the late 1970s. It came out of um, kind of the counterculture of the late 1960s mixed with kind of the back to the land uh, movement of the early 70s mixed in very much with the um, with feminism and the equal rights movement that was really happening, a lot of the political unrest that was happening. Believe it or not, it was also mixed in with uh, um, sort of the anti-nuclear uh, um, protests and, and activism that was happening. Um, and it's a tradition of witchcraft. So take all of those things, feminism, ecology, uh, political activism, roll them all up, into witchcraft and think about people that might be at demonstrations or might be uh, out there wanting to change the world. And they'll do that through magic. And, um, and then over the years, over the last 40 years of the tradition, um, there are amazing things. Uh, There are communities all over the world uh, of reclaiming witches. Uh, There are communities that gather uh, when we can, uh, gather for, believe it or not, witch camps where you might get 50 or 100 or 200 witches uh, gathering together um, for sort of a, a conclave or a week-long camp. And we, you know, we trade stories and we, um, we uh, trade spell work. There are teachers in the tradition. Both Phoenix and I are teachers in the reclaiming tradition and there's certain magic that we teach over and over and over again. Um, so it's just, you know, imagine... Uh, Reclaiming might be um, uh, like you have uh, Lutherans and Baptists and Catholics and Evangelicals and what have you. Reclaiming style of magic is sort of a denomination of witchcraft, if you will. Very what cool. made you know that that was the direction you wanted to go? Phoenix told me I had to do it. <laughs> I believe that. Now, Phoenix, what made you decide where you were going to go? 
<laughs> well, you know, I wasn't I wasn't raised in, with any specific religious background. And when I was a teenager, I went through a series of events that really made me feel like I needed that, like that I was lacking something and that religion would fill that. And so I started studying, you know, I went every friend that was even semi-religious, I would tag along to church services and catechism meetings and anything I could get my hands on. Uh, and, and none of it really fit. And then one day, it, you know, this is the mid nineties, I stumbled across a book in a bookstore. I think it was a Walden books <laughs> that doesn't exist anymore. And it was about yeah. witchcraft. And I just, I, I, I read the book and it felt like all the things I already believed and didn't know had names for or explanations for it just fit. It felt, it fit like a glove. It felt like coming home. And that was kind of it. You know, my, my mom thought it was a phase and um, I just, I read everything I could and I found other people that were doing the same practices and it's, you know, very close to 30 years later. So I just stumbled upon it when I decided I needed to find a religious path for myself. Well, that sounds wonderful to be able to, to search and to find. And I will tell you one thing just that goes along with that. So when Phoenix and I very first began dating, um, we both had, you know, uh, spiritual lives. Uh, That's probably part of what attracted us together, I think. But uh, uh, Phoenix, uh, uh, after a a short amount of time, we'd been dating. And I said, can we do some magic? And Phoenix said, no. And I said, what do you mean no? She goes, that's too intimate. And by then, we had been uh, intimate in other ways. And uh, I was like, what do you mean, you know, that it's too intimate? And she goes, no, we're not ready to practice magic together. That takes commitment. And so it was several months, I think, later before we actually started doing magic together. And then Phoenix took me to uh, a reclaiming ritual, actually. She didn't tell me anything about it. She just said, come, come to this ritual. And it was absolutely amazing. I came out of it. Um, I, I had been ecstatic. I, I was confused. I was dumbfounded. I was overwhelmed in really good ways. And Phoenix asked me afterwards, she said, what do you think? And I said, I have no idea what happened. I just know I want more of it. And it was really, it was an, it was, um, an entrance into a magical practice that I'd not practiced before. And it's been, nearly 20 years now that I've been part of the reclaiming tradition. So um, it, it was just one of those things, you know, uh, you'll often hear people that are spiritual seekers when they find the right place, they say it feels like they've come home. Yeah. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. kind of how I feel. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. And you weren't kidding. Phoenix did make you do it. Good for you, Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. That is true in so many facets of our life. <laughs> Great. So, in, what was writing the book together like? <laughs> well, that's a that's that was an answer uh, right was, there. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I you know I I've been joking that it was a challenge because for many reasons, but the biggest reason is that our our, our artistic process, so to speak, is so different, like opposite ends of the spectrum, different. I. I need background noise. Like I could have the TV on or music playing. I need like all of the things. I need a stack of books that I'm referencing. Like I just, I need a little bit of chaos in order to be creative. And Gleon needs like 
perfect silence and the dishes to be done and the bathroom to be clean and everything to be just austere so he can focus on the project he's working on. So it was hard for us to work together. We did a lot of things separate and then would come together to, to meld or edit or whatever, but we, we just have very different approaches. Well, congratulations on on making it through. (laughs) (laughs) You're still talking. I think that's wonderful. Yeah, that's that's the goal there. Yeah. Still together. The good news was we we (laughs) both knew what we wanted to write. You know, we had it. We were in a, the, 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 the beginnings of the book started with a conversation in a car. We were driving somewhere and we were just chatting and we were talking about rituals and rites of passage and, you know, thinking back over all of the rituals and rites of passage that we'd gone through in our own lives, both together and, and as parents, the rites our kids had gone through. And we thought, you know, there are so many more rites of passage and so many more moments in our lives that we don't really acknowledge. We should write about it. So um, as uh, different as our writing styles were, there was always the common goal. And interestingly enough, when we, we started to, to sort of put some meat on the bones of the table of contents we started going through and phoenix would say okay i want to write about that one and i want to write about this one and i'd say oh i've got a story about this one so we kind of divided the book up and then went back and melded bits and pieces and there were some bits that i thought i was going to write that phoenix wrote something for that was much better than what i'd written and kind of vice versa so it was a really good collaborative process um somebody asked us recently if we do it again and I was just about to say yes, and Phoenix went, nope. <laughs> uh, never say never, but it might be a while yeah. before we write together. No, that's, that's valid. That's valid. Never that was say never. to the point, wasn't it, dear? <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, now, in, let's take let's go into some of the rituals that you offer for people. Some of these, again, we do rush through them, and we don't even make it a magical moment, like a driver's mm-hmm. license, which most people in this day and age can't wait to get. So tell us how, how you ritualize something like that. Yeah, you know, we we sort of take it for granted getting a driver's license. It's just this thing that you do typically around the age of 16, but it's actually a really big deal. Uh, you know, you're you're basically given permission to drive a dangerous weapon around and interact with other <laughs> yeah. people driving dangerous weapons. And, you know, I, I remember going through it as a teenager and how desperate I was because it felt like the key to freedom that I could be out on my own and choose what music to listen to and choose who got to be in the vehicle with me. And then when my daughter was going through it, how scary it was to give her that freedom and to lose a little bit more of her to that moment and to that shift and change. Plus, you know, you have to study, you have to attend a a school, you have to pass a test, you have to spend so many hours practicing. It's actually a really huge deal. And we just sort of gloss it over. Uh, But if we pause, you know, like the whole point of this book, if we can pause and take a moment to acknowledge like, wow, you completed this huge thing. You have stepped into a new realm. You're one step closer to adulthood. You, you've mastered, well, not mastered, but you've been given permission 
to do this thing. And also as, you know, the guardian, the parent, taking a moment to grieve and to acknowledge, like, you know, your little baby is one more step to flying out the coop. And um, it's just, it's a moment to give credence to and just taking a pause. And, you know, ritual doesn't have to be, you wear robes and you chant and burn incense. And, you know, a ritual can be going to a, a fancy coffee shop and getting a fancy coffee and toasting to the success of passing a test. Uh, but it's an acknowledgement that you did this thing. Congratulations. You completed this task. Good job. Well, that makes a lot of sense because, again, as we've been in a culture for so long that is moving at warp speed. And it seems like we're being pushed into, okay, and now do the next thing, and now the next thing. And so taking a moment mm-hmm. to acknowledge the success that you've just had in this major step in your life, I would think that helps to build confidence, too, especially for young people. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. You know, we did some things with our youngest daughter, who's now about to be 19, um, each one of our children, we have three children between us. We don't have any children together, but we have three children between us um, that, we, that we raised. And um, our eldest, um, he did not turn 16 and immediately say, I want to get a car and I want to drive. It actually took him until he was uh, almost 19. Um, and uh, he went into it really cautiously. Uh, our uh, middle daughter, she turned 15 and started counting down the minutes (laughs) until she could get her driver's license. She scheduled the test. I I don't remember what the exact date was, but whatever the day was where she turned 15 and a half and she could get her permit, she had booked the appointment three weeks in advance of that. She showed up. Um, she could not wait to get her driver's license. And for her, she was really clear. For her, it was about freedom. Not that she had a very restrictive life, but it was one more step for her to being her own person, as Phoenix mm-hmm. said. Um, uh, uh, our, our middle daughter and Phoenix are like peas in a pod. But for her, it was about being able to drive to the coast we're not that far from the coast so being able to drive out to the coast or the river to go to the hiking trails that she loved to go to when she wanted to so one of the things that we also did with her and with our youngest daughter is we also did some magic some protection magic around the vehicle and they were part of that as well um so understanding what a vehicle is and the freedom that it gives you is one thing and then understanding the responsibility of it as well and then understanding that you know it can be a dangerous thing so what's the magic that you can do to protect yourself in the car what's the magic you can do to protect the vehicle um phoenix tells and phoenix you should tell the story how you uh did an invisibility spell on a car and how that backfired <laughs> terribly uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> what happened? Yeah, it was. We were. It was. So it was a black car as well. Like that feels like an important thing to name in this story. But we had. We were young, and uh, I did a little like cloak of invisibility around the car because we were 
probably not making the smartest of choices. And I didn't, our registration was expired and we were driving a little faster than we should have been. And I was really nervous about getting pulled over or getting a ticket. Uh, But then as we were driving, the car started to act up and we had to pull over onto the side of the freeway, the highway. uh, And we, we were stranded there for a few hours because no one could see us. I had done this invisibility, (laughs) and we were, invisible like I've never you know occasionally you break down on the side of the road I've always had a kind good Samaritan pull over and ask if I need help or call AAA for me or whatever but this time we were and it was a busy part of the road it wasn't like anyone couldn't see us this was also priests like everyone having a cell phone so typically people were more likely to pull over and check on you before you know everyone had cell phones they just assumed you were calling for your own help Right. So I never did that again. I, I never did that again. That was a bad mistake. <laughs> How did you get rescued? Uh, it took several hours, and then, funnily enough, a police officer drove by and pulled over and uh, gave us a ride home in the back of the police car. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, I'm my. sure the family was happy to you step out of the car. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, at least you know you have powerful magic, Phoenix. That's the upside, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you know, you got, and at least that was the the best case scenario. You know, you learn from your mistakes, and thankfully that wasn't too bad of one. Yeah, exactly. Well, and it makes sense that you'd want to do something about protection around your children and their cars because yeah. there's a reason why insurance rates are so high for everybody under 21 and yeah the discernment may not be there so uh, and you have that all in the book right don't you have some of those things people can do for protection absolutely mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah doing protection work on a vehicle is is a great idea and it's you know one of those uh, little rituals that you can do as frequently as you feel called or if you, you know, get, if you get side flights and you're nervous, as soon as you get home, reinforce that protection magic and, and, you know, spruce it up, so to speak. Now, some people are a little concerned that these rituals would be too complicated for them, but can you give us an idea of something to use for a protection spell that's not complicated, that's fairly simple for everybody to do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, sometimes all it takes is a like a good luck charm. So getting um, like a Hamsa hand or any charm that you might look at and feel like good energy from it. Um, uh, a, an evil eye amulet is you know one of those like little blue glass eyes that are they originate from like the Mediterranean region. Those are really mm-hmm. good for keeping negative energy away from you. And you just hang it in your rearview mirror. And then it sort of works as a, like a protection battery. You don't have to do a lot to make it work. It just works. So doing things like that are, is like the easiest way to approach protection magic. Yeah, that's an easy one. What about using stone? Would it, that be helpful? Uh, like, we, we know that the rose quartz deals with relationship Mm-hmm. But some of the other stones, would that amplify what we're looking for by using those? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead Gwen. Sorry. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, so if, if you were to look in either of our vehicles, um, you'll see 
Uh, black tourmaline is very common. Um, so that is a, a stone that you could certainly put in a car. Um, Phoenix gave me years and years ago. I used to travel a great deal uh, for business when we first met, and I still travel a, a lot, not so much in the last year, but typically travel a lot. And Phoenix gave me a bloodstone. It is a good protection stone for um, for traveling. So you could put bloodstone, for instance, in, mm-hmm. in your car. And it's literally as simple as saying, I've got this piece of stone. It is aligned with protection. Uh, may this stone's um, uh, energies extend around this vehicle. It can be that simple. If there are herbs that you know that are associated with uh, protection, you can, while the car is in the driveway, if you're getting ready to go on a long trip or a trip that might be a little bit dodgy because maybe it's icy out or what have you, you can walk around the car, typically in a clockwise direction, burning whatever those uh, herbs might be before you go on a long journey. And then, you know what, there's some really practical things. We talk about this a little bit, but, you know, get an oil change. Make sure the tires are pumped up to the right levels. Um, Make sure you've got jumper cables. Like there are some really real-world practical things that you can do to help protect yourself and um, incorporate herbs, incorporate uh, uh, stones, incorporate talismans uh, like Lucky Rabbit's foot or Hamster Hands or Hands Miriam or Evil Eye Amulets, things like that. Well, it makes sense because also in your book you talk a lot about how to integrate your your spells and your spiritual connection with your everyday life because we tend to separate them, at least mm-hmm. in this culture we do. Yeah. Yeah, it's very true. You asked about a simple spell. So one of the very simple rituals that you can do uh, is when you wake up in the morning. We have two or three rituals in the book that are about daily practice. And one of them is called waking spell number one. And another one is very cleverly called waking spell number two. (laughs) (laughs) And um, uh, they're they're literally just rituals uh, that you can do first thing in the morning. So when you wake up, Um, you know, there is no guarantee that we'll wake up tomorrow. We all imagine that we will. I imagine we've all got plans for tomorrow or the weekend. So we presume that we're going to be there, but we never know, right? Something could happen tonight and you don't wake up tomorrow. So every morning when you do wake up, you can just give a moment of gratitude. You can say, hello world, I'm still in it. Um, And uh, give a moment of gratitude for your body. For the things that your body can do, I can stand today. I can wash my teeth. I can go for a walk with the dog. These are all things that I can do, and I'm going to celebrate those things. And then take a few deep breaths and know that no matter what happens during that day, if things get a little bit wonky, crazy, you know, erratic, you can always take those few breaths and come back to that moment when you were laying in bed first awake, first grateful, snuggled in, you know, snuggled down, um, you can always come back to that. So there are simple rituals that you can do every single day. The second ritual that you can do when you wake up is to literally say, I love you out loud to uh, your, your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your, your housemate, your husband, your wife, your partner, your kids, your dog. If you live by yourself, you don't have any cats, you don't have a dog, 
Maybe there are house plants that you love, right? That spider plant you've been growing for 10 years or the fresh basil plant you've got in the window that you love to trim and put fresh basil in, in your food. Um, you can literally just say thank you to all of those things. Say, I love you to all of those things. Um, thank you for being in my life today. It will really change your perspective on life. Just doing that daily ritual, um, telling the people in, in your life or the beings in your life, the house that you live in. You know, again, if you don't have pets or plants, you live in a nice, safe, warm, dry apartment, speak to the apartment. It will, it will remember that your energy is going into the walls. It will be grateful and continue to protect you and keep you warm. So there's so many little things that you can do every day to make your mundane life magical. I'm a big believer that there isn't really a difference between a mundane life and a magical life. It's just a matter of perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, and, and yeah. I like that you have these simple things like this that people can do because, as I mentioned, I've got a lot of questions from the audience about you know feeling a little intimidated sometimes about, starting a ritual and it just seems a little over their head but you're mentioning things that are easy to do to start with the gratitude Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. that's a ritual in and of itself yeah i think the word ritual um brings things up for people because it sounds like a complicated thing or potentially even scary uh, or outside someone's um normal but rituals happen to us all day. Like anyone who drinks coffee, getting up in the morning, making a pot of coffee, pouring a cup and adding whatever you might add to it, that's a ritual. And there is a way that you can turn that into something that maybe has a little bit more spiritual awareness. You know, by uh, gratitude's huge, but by incorporating gratitude, holding the cup in your hand and whispering a blessing for having a good day and drinking that in feeling like, okay, I'm taking in blessings for a good day. There's all kinds of things you can incorporate to the rituals you already do. Showering is a ritual. Brushing your teeth is a ritual. The way that you uh, might do your laundry is a ritual. All of these things are part of our regular mundane lives. And, you know, like you said, especially in our culture, we tend to separate our mundane from the spiritual, but I really believe we need to reverse that and we need to remember that the spiritual is part of the mundane. It is part of everything that we do. I feel like that's, um, especially for those of us in the United States, like we really need to reconnect to our spiritual selves, to, to how um, divine our lives are. I think that, that, that could help so much for our culture at, on a larger scale. Uh, and, and it doesn't take much to just look at what you're already doing and recognize the rituals you're already doing and just take a moment to pause or experience gratitude or experience uh, the divinity of it. I, I've been watching a lot because, you know, of, of COVID and lockdowns and things like that. I've been watching a lot of reality TV shows just as distraction. Mm-hmm. And so many places in the world don't have running water. And I, t- I, like, I take this for granted. And ever since I've been watching some of these reality shows, I have been, I've had renewed vigor of gratitude for the running water. And, and just what's happened in Texas with people's pipes freezing and having no water for a week to two weeks. I am so grateful for running water. And just 
spinning simple things like that and remembering what a blessing they are, can, it's, that's a spiritual practice. It doesn't take a lot of work, really. Well, exactly. I mean, you're talking about yeah. a very simple change in perspective. It's like when you mentioned laundry. I know I do the laundry for my husband and myself, and I swear to God, there's got to be more people living here than just us two. <laughs> there seems to be an awful lot of laundry. <laughs> so maybe there are people here I haven't met yet, but they do provide a lot of laundry. And, you know, it could be a thankless task, or, as you're talking about, you can turn it into something that's spiritual, that's connected, that you're grateful for the fact. I am very grateful. Mm-hmm. I have a washing machine, and I don't go down to the river and pound clothes with rocks. So. Mm-hmm. But it's the kind of thing where we can get into the routine of just not being grateful and just seeing this as one more burden. And yeah, so it's for granted, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and it's just, oh, mm-hmm. you know, all this laundry or all this cooking or all this cleaning, and it just it becomes a negative, a very negative experience where our lives can get eaten up by these tasks and we don't see the connection to the spirit in it. So you're bringing all that back with this book. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Do you feel yeah, there are any colors that are more, uh, oh, that open us up more to being able to deal with the rituals? You know, it's funny. That's a really interesting question. I've uh, had different mentors and different, Um, practitioners I've worked with over the years that have had different feelings about that. Uh, I had one mentor recommend black, like anytime you're going to step into ritual, you should wear black. And I, I did because that was sort of what I did with that group, but uh, I didn't really ever understand why I feel like color is highly personal, you know, and all color vibrates, right. A different, a different uh, Mm -hmm. Rates, you know, so it's kind of like, where do you need to go? Where does your personal vibration, do you need to, do you need to go up? Do you need to go down? Do you need some help? And choosing the color based on what the ritual is for or what kind of energy you need to connect into, or if you need help with your own personal vibration, connecting into the right color for it. So I think color absolutely does help and impact, but I think choosing the color is highly personal. Oh, good. Personal choice. Yeah. You can take mm-hmm. whatever color you want. That sounds great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll be fine that we all have favorites. <laughs> so some of the other rituals you talk about, I mean, you talk about the coming together uh, kinds of rituals, like with marriage, et cetera, and then also cutting cords, letting go. Tell us about something, one of those rituals. Because sometimes people have to let go of things they don't really want to, but they may need a ritual to help them along the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll tell you one um, moment for for me, and this was um, this was really difficult because uh, nobody had ever explained this to me, right? and I'd never experienced it before. And while this wasn't a complete and utter cutting of someone. Uh, cutting off of someone, there was a moment where I had to let someone go. And in this particular case, uh, it's my my daughter. So when she was 18, this is the same daughter that when she was 
16, got her driver's license right away. When she was 18, she moved out. And it was under the very best of circumstances. She was moving in with a couple of roommates. They were in the scheme of things just a couple of miles away. It was because of college. Like it was, it was all the right reasons for somebody to move away. But there came this moment where she had moved out. And, you know, I had loaded boxes into her car and, and there she was. She drove off. And I couldn't go into her bedroom. And uh, the first week went by, and it was evident that she was quite happy where she was and things were going to work out. You know, she didn't get homesick and all of a sudden realized she wanted to move back. She was quite happy, and and she thrived in that environment uh, for years. And I was left with this empty room. And this empty room had been the place where she had told me about her first heartbreak. It was the room where I had heard her laughing and giggling on the phone with her girlfriends. It's the room uh, that she had uh, roses pinned to the walls from uh, proms and, and other you know, events that she'd been to. There were photographs of our family in Disneyland. Like this room was full of her life. And then nothing in it. It was four walls with a lot of you know, pushpin holes in it. And it was this empty shell of a room. And I sat in the middle of that room and I cried my eyes out. Nobody told me what it was like to have a child move out. That's not Mm -hmm. something we really think about. Um, And I was completely unprepared for it. My baby had moved out and I didn't know what to do. I didn't. And my son had moved out a couple of years beforehand and You know, for 20-some-odd years, my job was to get up and make sure their teeth were cleaned and they had lunches and that they got to school and soccer practice and baseball practice and and horse riding lessons. You know, I had all the busyness of being a dad. And all of that stopped in in that day-to-day way. And I just didn't know what to do. So I created ritual for that and it wasn't letting my daughter go in the sense that you know she was gone forever I wasn't cutting her out of my life but I had to make that room not her room I had to recognize that a transition had happened that she was uh, strong capable um, well provided for resourceful woman that was stepping into Um, the next phase of her life, of her education. And I was stepping into a part of my life where I didn't have to be a parent every day. And I had to acknowledge that. So I had to cut away what it was to be a day-to-day parent, what it was to be the dad that said, wake up and here's your breakfast. And (laughs) um, be the dad that, you know, they called once a week or stopped by when they needed the laundry doing or (laughs) something like that. And so I had to let my daughter, my little girl, I had to let her go. And I had to embrace the woman that was now standing in front of me. And likewise with that room, I had to collect the memories in that room and preserve the memories in that room like you would preserve flowers. And I had to let that room go so that it could breathe new life. Eventually, I turned that room into my office, 
and what came out of some of that grief, what came out of um, not having to cook meals for kids all day every day was the book I wrote, The Magic of Food. I wrote that book in that office. I transformed that into a library. I transformed that room that was so painful to be in into my study where I, where I wrote. And um, so that was a very profound ritual. I was so pleased for her, but I had to let her go. And I was so devastated, and I had to repair that in myself and in the room. So that was, that was one example, a, a long-winded example of a ritual where I had to cut some things out. I'm sure Phoenix has got some other simpler examples. <laughs> <laughs> How long well, did it you take know, you, Grian, to just finally settle in with that, that new and different reality? You know, if I was to answer it truthfully, I'd say... Uh, probably two or three months at the beginning and even now today. So uh, she's moved out of our house now for five years, I think it is. And, uh, and again, she's thriving and doing and, uh, and still I have pangs, you know, still I miss her. Uh, we used to walk together nearly every day and I miss that. I miss that terribly. So I don't know that it will ever go away, but the the hard grief, if you will, the the, the feeling that I'd lost someone, that was probably three months. Phoenix might say oh. it was longer. <laughs> <laughs> well, those are trying moments. I'm not a parent myself, but it's uh, I have friends, and I know it's it's, it's the empty nest syndrome is very tough and especially when you've been a very involved parent as you both I'm sure have been you know it's when you're involved in their lives the way you've been involved and all of a sudden they're ready to, to fly out of the nest that's a tough one Mhm. yeah and how has it been for you Phoenix with that uh, it's it's been a different experience for me because our two older kids are my stepkids. So it's not that, you know, that changes anything that much because they were with us full time for most of their lives. Um, but it, there was um, a bit of freedom that comes with more space in your home. So, you know, they both, the, the older kids, it was time. They were both ready, you know, even though they, they left home at different ages they were both ready. Uh, and so it felt like a good transition. It, it was an appropriate transition. It was one that um, made sense, you know. So for me, it felt a little bit like, oh, look, we're getting, this, we're getting some space in our lives. We're getting some more room for just the two of us in our lives. Uh, and, you know, my, my daughter is almost 19, and she um, – it usually has a little bit of time with us and a little bit of time with her dad, but because of COVID, she's been mostly with us for the last year. So I don't know what, what I'll be like when she is officially flown the coop. I don't know. I've all feel the same way. Um, you know, cause I've had like, she's been like with me half of the time, most of her life anyway. So I'm kind of used to having this 
the spaciousness of her not being around. So I think there's a part of me that was like, okay, I'm ready for this to be just me and Guion's place. I'm ready for us to figure out our relationship where we're not caretaking. I, I'm ready for that change, which is, you know, kind of an interesting role reversal too, because I think the expectation is the more, you know, motherly person is supposed to be the one that struggles. And, um, and I think that that was an opposite experience for us where I was like, no, this is how it's supposed to be. Let's do this. I'm excited. Uh, yeah. and, you know, that, it was, uh-huh. it was a rite of passage that we both went through and it was a very different experience for both of us. Wow. That's great. Well, it's, it's good because you can both share your experience in a way that makes sense to each of you. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I, I understand what you're saying too. It's like I lost both my my dogs last year, which was devastating for me. Mm. They're yeah. like my kids. Terrible. And that was a terrible time. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. horrible. And yet, at the same time, you know, I'm I still miss them. I still cry about them not being here. And I also experience this freedom that I can leave the house without <laughs> worrying about them. Yeah, yeah, I totally get that. Yeah, so and we, you know, it's funny, we yeah. talk about that in, in the book. Uh, we There's some rituals in there for when, when we lose uh, a, a four-legged or a two-legged or a winged companion, right? So, yes. um, you know, we've lost pets over the years, and we've been at that point where we've had to make that, that terrible decision, you know, that it's time to go, and there's all that, the, the guilt about, you know, taking a life, and yet it's, you know, it's the most humane thing to do in that moment if they're getting to the point where they're suffering or struggling. Who wants that, right? So right. it's so very difficult. And, you know, we, we, we've said this a lot, but, you know, if, if you were to lose a family member, a human family member, the company that you work for, if, you, if you're somebody that works, they usually give you the standard policy in the United States is you get three days bereavement. Think about that. You lose a husband, you lose a wife, you lose a sister or, you know, whomever it is. And you've got three days. That's the official amount of time that you get to grieve. And usually when asked, people will say, um, uh, well, how long, you know, uh, how long you should be all right in a couple of weeks. Like the standard mourning period is a couple of weeks. Now, in, in many cultures around the world still, and certainly in cultures in, in the past, there might be a period of a year that you mourned. There might be months that you were uh, expected to grieve, expected to isolate or, or live a life differently because you were mourning the loss of somebody else. And while I get that's not always practical, um, there is something really wonderful about being able to retreat from the world a little bit and have friends and family and loved ones come and support you through that grief without looking at the clock going, okay, look, it's been a week and a half. You should be over that now. I mean, you were yeah. only with somebody for 40 years. You should get mm-hmm. over it in a week. Get back out there. And similarly, with with our four-legged companions, um, they're no less family. Um, you know, as you just mentioned, they were like your kids. They were your kids. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you wouldn't say to somebody, oh, you lost a kid? I'll see you at work on Monday. We never yeah. think about that with the dogs. <laughs> right. Right? Yeah. Or the cats. 
you know, um, and and it is, it's devastating. And I mean, I don't know how it was for you, but well, I'll ask you, what was it like? Did they have, um, you know, dog beds or pillows or, or things that they were their favorites that you had to dispose of? Now, how, how I still have them. I, I never, I never let go of their, their beds and pillows. And of course, they slept in my bed. You know, they were, they, they were my pals. They went wherever I went. And yeah, I mean, it, we were so close. So, and, and you know, the, the blessing was, unfortunately, when they did die, they, I didn't have to have them put to sleep. They died, um, on their yeah. own. They lived long lives to almost fifteen years old uh, but it's never long enough i mean that's you know yeah. it's never long enough with pets or with children i think it's just that you know in uh pk you were talking about change at the beginning of the show and getting used to it i i don't like it when my pets leave i had dogs all my life and uh i don't like that at all and i you know i i still miss them. I still grieve them, not to the extent that it was when the, when it was fresh, you know, a fresh wound mm-hmm. and it just happened. But, yeah. yeah. And I understand all of what you're talking about and it makes a lot of sense to be patient with yourself and anyone you know who's going through it as well as creating a loving ritual around the leaving and, and that's the hard part. It is. Yeah, you know, grief has no expiration date. Uh, no, and, um, so, Yeah. And there is, you know, we have a whole chapter in the book, or a whole section in the book where we talk about rights of loss. And it encompasses all kinds of losses that we might have uh, in life. You know, that's one of the, the sweet, sweet ironies, right? What makes life so delicious and so worth living and so worth experiencing is that we know at least in this fleshy body that we've got today, it's got an expiration date, right? Uh, right. Hopefully it's, it's, a, it's a long expiration date. I want my sell-by date to be a long way from now. But the reality of it is that that day will come. And so life is made up of, of meetings and partings. And how we remember those is what makes life delicious, I think. Mm-hmm. Well said, yes. Yes. And Phoenix, you talked beautifully in the book about birth. So here we are mm-hmm. meeting new life. And in our mm-hmm. culture, we do have the traditional stuff, baby showers and things like that. But there are other rituals and ways to approach this. So share some of that with us. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Like A baby shower is wonderful, and it's a celebration, and it's often... Uh, you know, an event where you're helping the new family because a baby is an expensive little creature and you need all (laughs) kinds of things to help it, you know. Statement of the year. (laughs) Right? And so, you know, the baby shower serves two purposes. It's to celebrate the new family and it's to help give them things so the financial burden is not too much, you know. Plus, buying baby clothes is fun and cute and all that fun stuff. But um, there is a huge thing that a woman or a person giving birth is going through. And it's, it's a transition for your body. It's, it's, it can be scary. It it can be an invasive medical procedure, depending on the situation that you find yourself in when you are pregnant. 
And so there is a lot of fear. Uh, there can be a lot of fear. And, I, and you know, my experience is I'm going on 20 years being away from that experience. But I remember so many women would want to tell me their horror stories when I was pregnant. It was almost like a badge of honor and a, a bringing me into the fold of the warriors, so to speak. But the last thing I wanted to hear was all these really scary stories of what other people had gone through. I was really invested on having the smoothest, easiest process that I could have. And I had to shut a lot of that stuff out. Uh, I, it just felt, sometimes it felt like that was going to weigh me down and, and make me lost from the experience that I wanted to have. So, you know, you're, you're giving birth to a human, a a new being is coming into, into the world. And that is a rite of passage for that being, but also, you know, you're going through the rite of passage, the person giving birth of bringing new life in and experiencing the physicality of that, whatever that looks like, whether that ends up being, having medical intervention or a C-section or whatever, no matter what you are experiencing the physicality of that. And that's an intense experience, but there's also potentially a partner who is there and grandparents perhaps or aunts and uncles or other siblings. And they're all experiencing that rite of passage as well from their own unique perspective. Uh, you know, so we celebrate like the, the baby shower and the buying the cute clothes and getting extra packages of diapers. But for me, what was most uh, impactful was I had a very small gathering, uh, specifically with people who had given birth in the past, and we did some, some magic together so that my process might be smooth, my process might be easy. So we said prayers and blessings for any medical staff to, do, to know the right thing to do and to be able to help with whatever my needs were and to the best of their abilities in that moment. Uh, And that brought a lot of comfort for me. Uh, I also had this mantra that I memorized that I could recite while I was in that process Uh, because it is a big deal. It's exciting and it's wonderful and it's a blessing and it is scary. And we don't talk about that part of it enough. And, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of talking about the things that no one else really wants to talk about because <laughs> I think that taking the sting and the taboo out of some of these things is really important. Uh, but um, the, the whole process of birth and the labor and delivery and, and new families being created is a huge part of our lives that everyone, whether you're spiritually inclined or you practice witchcraft or whatever or not, we all understand that, that concept. We've all had friends, been through it ourselves, have been aunties or uncles, have been older siblings. Like this is something that is not uh, everyone has been touched by. Uh, and so making space for that to be a restorative process and to get through um, some of the things that can be scary and, and to offer blessings on that process is really excellent. I'm actually helping plan a blessing um, for my friend who's um, going to be having a baby very soon. It's been in just in a couple of weeks. So we've been trying to navigate having a, a, a shower and a baby blessing over Zoom. And how can we make that work to do that, all of that online? You know, so um. even with, with the world as it currently is, we can still be doing those rituals, you know. That's a great point. A very, yeah. very excellent mm-hmm. point. People need to remember that. 
Yeah, because that does help to break down the isolation when you can get together mm-hmm. on Zoom or Skype or whatever. And you can. That's true. It's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a, a lovely time. And the other fun thing, you know, this is totally like a side note, but the other thing I really enjoy about doing ritual on Zoom or connecting with spiritual people on Zoom is you can have a much wider net of people attend, you know, instead mm-hmm. of just the little group that lives within 20 miles of me, beloveds from all over can attend because we can all connect on on this uh, etheric thing called the internet, you know? So, yeah, it's, it's, there, there are pros and cons, but it's definitely a, a lovely experience to be able to perform ritual on the internet with all kinds of people. And do you do anything yeah. on YouTube? Not yet, but I am about to start that. So mm-hmm. uh, we'll see how that goes. It's a whole new venture for me. It would be very interesting because people need to, it's a good way of bringing people in to learn how, and that way they have more opportunity to get in touch with you to get additional help. Yeah. Yeah, and I have been doing, I I teach uh, workshops about different goddesses, and in these workshops we do a little bit of myth and storytelling, and then I transition and we do a ritual for that goddess or with that goddess, and I've been doing them online now for a year, ever since um, lockdown started. So uh, at first I thought, okay, I'm just going to do this because it's a service and people are, are hungry to be connected to community. And now I'm loving it. It's fun. I've been really enjoying being able to offer them in an online format. So, yeah, that's, it's, you know, I've, I've transitioned the way that I teach. Phoenix has been teaching these um, these goddess gatherings for about a decade now and couldn't imagine a year ago what it would be like to teach them online. And as she says, now, you know, she might do an event and there'll be somebody from Texas and Arizona and New York and Australia all on the phone at the same time, as well as folks from the local community. So it's really quite amazing. I love it. I think it's great. And again, your yeah. the access point is so easy, so it's wonderful. You can have people coming from the UK or Germany or China or wherever just to talk mm-hmm. to you, or just to have a reading, even because you do both of yeah. do both of you do readings, Phoenix and Guion, or just Phoenix. Uh, Phoenix does readings. She'll tell you her website uh, in a few moments. Um, I don't do readings, but I do consultations, especially around food magic. So. Um, as you know, I wrote the book, The Magic of Food. Oh, um, great book. And there are some ways that folks can, um, if they want to uh, change some of their eating habits for both spiritual and um, uh, health reasons, I will do some consultations around that. Uh, you can always get in touch with me at guionraven.com. Um, so it's just my name, guionraven.com. And you can find me on Facebook and, and other places and obviously uh, the book itself. Um, but um, I do consultations around food and food magic. There's a lot of folks that want to uh, incorporate magic into the way they cook and eat, and uh, so I'll, I'll do consultations around that. But Phoenix does readings and all kinds of consultations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And when you do it more on, about on the, the cook, cooking type of things, Van, uh, is this to help? Can you assist people that 
they are overweight or are working on trying to diet? You know, diet is one of those, uh, for me, diet is a four-letter word, right? Because we always often associate diets with weight loss. And I associate Mm -hmm. diets with the good foods that we eat or the foods that we eat. Diet just Mm -hmm. means what you eat. So I think if you can eat consciously, if you're aware of what you're eating, why you're eating it, how you're eating it, then you... um, uh, you will have a healthier relationship with food. And sometimes with a healthier relationship with food comes a healthier relationship with your body. And it may well be that you lose weight. It may well be that you become more active. But it may just be that you come at peace with the body that you have right now, not the body that you had when you were 20 not the body you imagine you'll have when you're 25 or 55, but the body that you inhabit right now. So, yeah, things like weight loss can happen. For me, that's never the goal. It's what's your relationship to food? What's your relationship to the way you cook and prepare food or eat food if you're not cooking and preparing it? Um, And why do you find that you're eating? Um, There's nothing wrong with being sad and eating four bags of potato chips probably not a great thing to do all day every day but if you're grieving go with it you know revel right. in it eat the hug and dust you know whatever it is that you do um if that's what suits you and it enables you to get through grief for instance it's fine now should you eat five pints of ice cream every day for the next five years probably not so there are some constructive things that we can talk about of uh when it comes to food, about, again, what, what's your relationship with food? Are you self-soothing? When does that become a crutch versus uh, a, a helpful technique? So things like that. That's good to know because I know some people, the, the, their inability to let go of certain foods without knowing why, or people that uh, – feel that they're very fat and they're about bean pole size and yet they have a hard time eating so by working with you would they be able to come to terms with some of these foods i would hope so yeah that's um mm-hmm. well, that's part of what i do for sure good good to know and there's some great recipes and you really should ask book. phoenix about her readings go i'm phoenix is very humble and she very really crows <laughs> about herself so i'm going to do it for a minute There are lots of tarot readers out there. There are lots of people that do readings for folks. But I will tell you one of the things about uh, Miss Phoenix here. She's not the kind of reader that will tell you what you want to know. She is the kind of reader that will tell you what you need to know, and she'll give you homework, which a lot of people are very (laughs) interested in. Yeah, Yeah, I'm a a fan of giving home adventures, as I like to call them, yeah. That's interesting. Hope it did. It sounds great. <laughs> it does yeah. because people need that. I think just hearing the information isn't enough. So I think that's great that you actually send them home yeah. with things to do. That's much more complete. Good for you. I think yeah, that's fair yeah, because you just get the information and then you walk out and you forget it as soon as you walk out the door. But if you've got yeah. something to back it up, you're going to remember it. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and there's so much more to it. You know, it's there's this idea that getting a like a tarot reading or, or a reading is is about like what's the future, and you know it's a, it's a lot more complicated than that. It's not a fortune telling device like you might see in the movies or on TV shows. It's much more complicated than that because we do, in my opinion, you know, we do keep um, choice over our lives. And so it's more about tapping into the energy of where you are and where that energy could potentially lead you. You still have choice to change that and to course correct and to do things differently. Uh, and so a lot can be revealed, like where do you want to go and how can you most easily get there? So, you know, there's a lot of, of good information in getting a reading that's beyond just, you know, you will meet a dark and mysterious stranger. You know, there's a lot more to it than that. Um, and yeah, I do think that giving people some homework like this, the reading is for the client who's being read for uh, and, and having skin in the game is an important part of that. If you want to manifest the goal, uh, you have to put some work in for it. You have to take some steps to really do what you can to make that thing manifest. And I, I like to help my clients do that, you know, achieve the thing, bring the thing into their lives that they are desiring. That's what it's all about for me. Um, and yeah, I, just like Guian, I do have a website too, phoenixlefay.com and you can book readings there. I am booked out a couple of months in advance. So just know that it's not, um, it's it's not always easy to get a reading with me, but I would like to think I'm worth waiting for. <laughs> I think you are, for sure, for sure. Now, what decks do you use? Do you have a, one specific deck, or do you use more than one? Yeah, I have one deck. It's funny that you say this because I was just in a chat. I run a little um, Discord server program, and um, some of the folks in that, in that chat group today we're asking about doing layered readings where you might use multiple decks in one reading. Uh, and that's not something I do. I love the technique. It's not something I do. I'm kind of a like one deck kind of girl. Um, and I've been reading with the same deck for a really long time. It's called the Druid Craft Tarot deck. I just really love the artwork. Will Worthington is the artist. I just love his artwork. And I think that that's the thing with, with reading oracle cards or tarot decks, it's really important that it should uh, appeal to you. The art, you should be in love mm -hmm. with the art. There should be something aesthetically appealing about it. That's, what, that's how you choose, in my opinion, which deck to work with. You just really love the art. Uh, so that's why I use that deck. It's, it's, it's just particularly pretty in, in my eyes, opinion. I think that's so important when you're reading yeah. with something. It's to be because you can feel it more when when you like mm -hmm. what it is. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, Absolutely. that's right. It has to have meaning. It has to have that communication that you communicate with that deck, and that deck communicates with you. So, yeah, it sounds like you found your deck a long time ago. Yeah, and you. Know, I was in a workshop actually, and we did this exercise where everyone laid down tarot cards. And we sort of created a mandala with, with tarot cards. And someone else had this deck. And I just fell in love with it. And I was like, tell me the name of that deck. I have to get it. And that was it. It's been probably over a decade. I haven't let it go. <laughs> That's great. A long-term relationship you know, with your deck. <laughs> yeah. 
it's true. I, I think one of the reasons Phoenix is so attracted to it, uh, the iconography is lovely, but it's also um, it's places that Phoenix have be- has been, right? So oh. Phoenix has not only a connection to the cards and to the imagery and to the mythology of the imagery that's on those cards. She's also been to where those myths come from. And there are some uh, uh, places that are uh, built into the cards, uh, depicted into the cards, things like Stonehenge and Glastonbury Tor and some of these mystical, magical places. And Phoenix has been to those places. So I think that's also a way, I think, it's almost as if Phoenix is drawing energy and power from those places as well as <laughs> the intuition of the cards, you know? It makes Very interesting. Sense. Yeah, those are some mm-hmm. powerful places on this earth. Yeah, mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah, definitely. So what was your favorite ritual in the book that you wrote about? Do each of you have a favorite? That's a really good question. Oh, my gosh. I'm not sure that I can pick a favorite. Now I'm trying to think. Like, I don't want to leave anyone out and hurt any of the other ritual's feelings. <laughs> you know, I'm actually, sure I think my, yeah, I would hope so. I think my favorite part, actually, is um, the DIY section about building your own rituals because I, I'm just – I'm a big believer in, in spirituality being so important and uh, personal. And so there's this whole section of the book about how to build your own ritual and create your own ritual and finding the moments in your life that feel like a rite of passage that maybe we missed. Uh, and so I think that's my favorite part is, is the redirecting back to look at your own lives and what's important in your own lives and how to create a ritual around that moment. It's just, it's just so personal. Spirituality is so personal and so individual. And I just really hope that people um, are able to connect into that and find those magical moments in their own lives that we may have not have even written about. Like I'm excited to hear the potential of what readers may find and then share with us. Like, Oh, we created this whole ritual about planting a tree or, you know, something. I'm just, I'm excited to, to hear those, those things from people who may have created their own moments. Yeah, I think for me, um, I, I, I share everything that Phoenix just said. If I were to point to one ritual, I think that there's a ritual in the book about taking on a name. Uh, and I find that to be particularly powerful, and I love that process. So, you know, if you think about it, in most cases, when you're born, your parents, say your name is Susie or your name is Robert and that's it for the rest of your life you're Robert maybe you're Bobby or you know whatever but you get the idea Mm -hmm. and traditionally in, in many cultures around the world that isn't true you might be given a name at birth that that reflects uh, what was happening in the time that you were born and then at some point you get to take on another name and some people that um, uh, join religious orders you know they change their names um, or if they take a spiritual path they change their names and I think there are lots of folks today that um, have reasons to change their name um, uh, uh, it's very common uh, for folks that transgender 
Um, this is something we're seeing more and more and more. Uh, they were given a birth name and it just doesn't fit them or it never did fit them. And so they, they've remade their lives and so they remake their name. Uh, if you think about it, uh, when people get married and uh, potentially divorced, they often change their name or hyphenate their name. And I think it's so powerful to choose what you want to be called in the world. I think it's so powerful for you to say, this name represents me. This is who I am. And it can be taking on a spiritual name. It can be taking on a magical name. It can be formally uh, uh, changing a name from one thing to another where you get a new driver's license and you get a new birth certificate or, you know, any of those other documents that we, we have to get in life. There's something so powerful about saying, this is me. So I think that's one of my favorite rituals, that the, the taking on one's name. If I had to point to one in the book, I think that's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Now, did you choose a name? And if so, when did you do that for yourself? <laughs> so I have several names. So I do have a name <laughs> that I was given at birth. <laughs> um, and um, my... my uh, First legal name was not Guion, uh, and it certainly wasn't Raven. Um, but there came a point in my life where the mythology of the name Guion um, began to really loom large in my life. So I formally took the name Guion many, 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 many moons ago now. Most people only know that name. Um, there are a few family members that still call me by my other name, but that's very few and far between. Most everybody calls me Guion now and has done for forever and ever at this point, and I love that. Um, but as I've gone through some initiations in different magical traditions, there are often names that come along with that. For many, many years, I studied Buddhism, and I took some vows as a Buddhist, and along with taking those vows came a name. I very rarely ever share that name with anybody. It's a very private thing for me. Um, And even though I am a a witch and a a practicing pagan, there are still some practices from my days as a Buddhist that are very near and dear to my heart. And so I hold that name. I say that name privately uh, to myself. It's it's, uh, very uh, intimate Um, in in another magical tradition that I'm part of uh, in the initiation, um, I chose a name. And the only people that know that name are either people that were present at that initiation or are people that I have since initiated and I will share my magical name, my private magical name with them. And there's a particular power in that. Um, We only call each other by those names, those magical names in typically initiation places. We only share those most intimate details. But if I need to call on one of those witches through the astral, I don't call out the phoenix, for instance. I would call out the phoenix's magical name. Um, and I can feel those people next to me. Um, some of those people have, have passed on now, some of those folks that 
I know very intimately and I know their magical names and I'll call their magical names. So, yeah, it was a very conscious decision to take on a magical name. It was a very conscious decision to have two or three other magical names um, that nobody else knows and are only used in, in certain magical situations. So I love having many names. Phoenix has about 300 names. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> oh my no, goodness. Phoenix also was not the name I was given at birth. I, I, I don't even know how long it's been now that I've been going by Phoenix, but it was a, a series of introspection and meditation and study and for, for me to finally decide to change my name to Phoenix. And much like Leon said, I have different names from different situations that I've been in, um, or I'll, I've gone through experiences where I felt like I, Phoenix wasn't who was going through that experience. It was a whole other name. So instead of changing my name, which is difficult and hard for other people to be like, oh, no, I'm not Phoenix anymore. I'm now this. And every week I have a new name. I just keep adding to my name. So I do have eight <laughs> names, but of course, nobody knows those names but me. It's not a big deal. Uh, it's fine that people call me Phoenix or that, you know, family members who still use the name I was given at birth, which is also fine for me. Um, but those names all have meaning for me. Yeah, you know, so, they are um, meaningful. Um, that's, yeah, that's what's that's so important, the, that they have yeah. that, that deep meaning. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you both so much for joining us tonight. It's been a wonderful evening. And again, everybody, the name of the book is Life Ritualized, a witch's guide to honoring life's important moments. Wonderful book. And thank you again, both of you, for joining us tonight. This has been great. Well, oh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks. All right. Well, we're on to our next show next week, everybody. And until then, we'll see you on the Blue Highway. Good night, everyone. Good night. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural.